Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast and the only podcast to take the savior of the universe shopping and totally forget about him. Yeah. Did we? Yeah, we did. Uh, turned around, he wasn't there. Forgot no. about him for a couple days, actually. Maybe he's back at the gas station. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we're going to do this podcast on Luke. We are up to Luke, right? Did I do the right research? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Johan. Johan. Yes, we're on Luke. Excellent. Uh, but before we get to Luke, the meat of the podcast, shall we do skunktics? We should, although I, I wanted to warn you that I will restrict myself to making three Star Wars Luke references in this podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only three? Only three. All right, on to on to skunk dicks. Skunk dicks. Do we have the opening music yet for skunk dicks? I really wish I hadn't have said that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll write something up. We'll do it in post. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. What do you got? I got, I got rabbis. No, I don't got rabbis. Well, I had rabbis, but I saw you and you gave me a shot and they cleared up <laughs> i got the vatican they misspelled jesus um you've probably heard of this the vatican put out a, a series of commemorative coins uh in which it said praise lisas <laughs> instead of jesus or uh, i uh, i maybe that's all that in latin maybe that's latin for jesus lisas it could be well, lisas you'd well think, you know you'd think yeah. the uh one true church, the Catholic Church, the only correct church in the world, could get the name of their fucking god right. No. Lesis cannot be happy about this. Chuck, they can't get the name spelled right because, I mean, for example, they spelled pedophile, P-R-I-E-S-T. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> ah, yes. It, that was worth it. Yeah. So I'll let that stew for a bit. <laughs> what do you got? Moving right along, I have uh, two Colorado pastors. This is um, when the fires were still going on in Colorado back in June. Uh, two Colorado pastors, Kevin Swanson and Dave uh, Buner, addressing the forest fires hitting their state. So uh, let's listen in. Why Colorado Springs? I mean, it, understand that, that Colorado itself is a state that has been begging for God's judgment. Uh, how do we do that? Well, we were the first state make abortion legal. You can murder your baby as long as it's in the womb. 1967. Governor Love, a Republican. Dave, I mean, when you have a state where the House leadership is performing a homosexual act on the front page of the Denver Post two months ago, does God read the Denver Post? <laughs> do you think he picks up a copy of the Denver Post? I don't think it's delivered to him, but he gets it. He gets it. Okay. God gets the Denver Post. So, uh, <laughs> so God, God gets the Denver Post, Matt, and he's so angry. He, de he definitely gets the Post. Two months later, he starts a forest fire in Colorado. That's right. But not in Denver, in Colorado no, Springs. No, where? Oh, why Colorado Springs? Is that where all the gays are in Colorado, I guess? 
Colorado is asking for judgment, yeah. and, and God's delivering it yeah, in little sure. pieces. He's very gracious mm-hmm. that he hasn't destroyed the whole state yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I think that's an act of grace. But then the question is, of, of all of Colorado, why Colorado Springs? I mean, Colorado Springs is the Christian Mecca. Yeah. Why not wipe out Boulder or yeah. Denver? I mean, those yeah. people are in more yeah. radical yeah. rebellion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Democrats up there. And the answer is, <laughs> judgment begins in the house of God. Yeah. Ah. So Colorado, if I'm a resident of Colorado Springs, I'd be really pissed off at Denver because Denver actually, you know, put that post up and uh, God got so angry, right. he fucking shoots fire at Colorado Springs. Thanks, thanks, Denver, for putting your homosexual acts right on the front steps of the house, <laughs> whatever they did. He's not done. He's mad that he was stuck in an airplane flight for 14 hours and uh, forced to look at breasts. Coming back from from Australia, you know, I'm stuck in 14 hours of these visual presentations of sitcoms and stuff on 17 screens in front of me. And Dave, I mean, I've never seen so many breasts in all my life. I mean, the the immodesty going on in our society is far worse, far worse, Dave, than it was back when Cheers and Family Ties and The Cosby Show was playing on 1980s sitcoms. Um, this, this, I mean, every form of aberrant sexuality and and women's breasts are shown in front of me almost nonstop for 14 hours. And, you know, it's just, it just, Dave, such an oppressive, horrible, horrible world. Oh, that's right. Because apparently on his airplane, every single TV in the plane has a boob on it. It's just breasts. <laughs> uh, he said, quote, every form of aberrant sexuality and women's breasts, every <laughs> form of them, every form of... <laughs> Breast. From A like cup to Z cup. Right. <laughs> on the Mis- TV. Shaping ones for 14 hours. I got it. I think I'm going to go to Australia just so I can come back from Australia because their TVs <laughs> sound awesome. Much better than ours here in the United States. He says, I brought up androgyny and how many young boys are running out and doing the metrosexual thing with the skinny pants and the little fairy shoes. <laughs> That's why. What are the- fairy shoes? <laughs> Do they are they sparkly? I don't. Uh, yeah, they're like the Tinkerbell, little green like Tinkerbell shoes. shoes. Or is he just talking about like pointy shoes? God hates it when men are not manly in their approach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of there with him on the skinny pants, maybe. Then he brought the whole thing on feminism and how feminism has corrupted our women today. That's why they're wearing pants and hats, Chuck. Yeah, uh, Miss Magazine points to New York City women garment workers in the early 20th century who wore pants, who wore hats to signify that they were earning their own money, and thus financially independent. Women in the 1980s adopted a male style of dress, ties, tailored skirt suits, shoulder pads, in order to get a foothold in the male-dominated world of business. My God, Carol Mosley Braun, the first African-American woman elected to the U.S. Senate, wore a pantsuit on the Senate floor in 1993, ending the Senate's ban on women wearing slacks there. There was a ban on women wearing slacks in the Senate. (laughs) Fuck you, Diane Keaton, he continued. (laughs) Because Uh, of movies in the 80s. I'm old. Well, with with stuff like that, um, I you know, how can you really blame God for burning Colorado? Well, I'm sure he was pretty happy when uh, all the floods like last month blew it, wiped out Boulder. <laughs> he finally got around to <laughs> wiping right. out Boulder. Excellent. These guys know what they're talking about. All right, what else you got? I got another thing. I have uh, I have pesky rabbis. You see, Chuck, there's a thing in the Orthodox Jewish community 
where if you want to get divorced, uh, for the woman, she has to get what's called uh, a get, which is a document of Jewish law that requires a husband to present to his wife in order to be issued a divorce. It's a, it's a big thing because without a get, uh, she's considered a aguna, which I probably pronounce just horribly. But You do not want to be an aguna. Aguna. I think that's Korean. But um, that is a chained woman bound to a man no matter how over their marriage might be. Um, the woman can be shunned by her community. She can be labeled an adulteress if she moves on. And any future children she has are considered bastards. And they're only permitted to marry other bastards. That seems, and their children that seems fair. are known as sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, this is kind of – it's kind of like uh, almost a good thing. So these rabbis, they, here's what they do. They kidnap husbands to force divorces to get the cats. <laughs> they're providing a service. That's right. Um, so the they they got caught in a sting, and um, one of these guys is talking to the FBI agent, Rabbi Mendel Epstein, and he said they they get to divorces with the help of hired quote unquote tough guys, tough guys, Chuck. Hey, tough guys, tough guy. They use plastic bags to cover their heads, electric cattle prods, and karate, karate, karate to assault the husbands. So basically, they stand in front of him uh, in that, uh, what was that called in The Karate Kid? The swan the, uh, kick. <laughs> the swan if they, kick. If they do right, no can defend. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a possibru. It's, oh. They stand in front of him in a gi, and they say, <laughs> give me the get. And if they don't, karate chop. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Deuteronomy 24 Verse 1, or something like that. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. If not, get some tough guys who are trained in karate, Karate. put a plastic bag and cattle prod on him. That you must be reading from the new international version. (laughs) (laughs) They they got paid pretty well, about twenty grand. I know it's a sweet gig. If you can get it, charge tens of thousand dollars to get this get. I'll get a get for twenty grand. You know karate. I shall use no karate. (laughs) I only know taekwondo. (laughs) That's more expensive. (laughs) Taekwondo also needs the addition of two jars of kimchi. As well, he will, he will surrender at the smell of the kimchi. <laughs> you just feed it to them. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll write it down. All right. Uh, excellent. Um, I'm going to go with the rabbis. I like the pastors in Colorado. I'm going with them. All right. Let's feed that to the computer. Okay. Just don't give it any kimchi. And the winner is Lysis, the Vatican coins. Lysis? Just kidding, it's Antonin Scalia. Oh, yay. I love that guy. Antonin Scalia, in a recent interview, admitted that he uh, believes in the devil. He whispered it. I even believe in the devil. (laughs) She was changing the subject. (laughs) That's right. Can we talk about your drafting process? I even believe in the devil. This was an interview with uh, New York Magazine. Yeah, Jennifer Senior, I think. That's right. And she's a little shocked. She said, uh, <laughs> you <What>? too? 
Of course, yeah, he's a real person. Hey, come on. That's standard Catholic doctrine. Every Catholic believes that. <laughs> what fallacy is that? That is the argument from popularity. Yes, the ad populum fa- fallacy. He makes that twice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. You know, he's saying the, the vast majority of Americans believe in the devil. Oh, then it must be true, Scalia. It must I be like, true. I like that. That's my favorite part of the interview. She, she said, senior asked if it's frightening to believe in the devil, which seemed to annoy Scalia. You're looking at me as though I'm weird, he answered. <laughs> my yeah. God. You are, are you weird. so out of touch with most of America? Most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. Oh, good Lord. It's in the Gospels, Matt. Oh, check Ed, mate. Oh, Lord. Uh, Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Yeah. Um, All of history is apparently the last 2,000 years. Oh, and many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. Once again. What fallacy is that? (laughs) Argument from authority. If they're really smart and they believe in the devil, well, then that seals it. Uh, she says, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's curious. In the Gospels, the devil's doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot. That doesn't happen very much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Pigs run off cliff, you say? All the time. Sounds familiar. All the time. YouTube it. And uh, he doesn't do that because he's smart, Matt. He's, He's trying to convince people not to believe in him or God, so he's become wilier. Oh, like the coyote. <laughs> okay, he's the winner. Next. <laughs> Scalia wins. That This, by the way, is one-ninth of the highest judicial body in the land. This is it. When our, when our executive branch and our legislative branch cannot get along, these are the guys who decide the fucking fate of our country. He's one-ninth of that. <laughs> he's got... He gets a whole vote on the Believes... Believes in a fucking supernatural being whose entire purpose is to uh, steal your soul and then punish you for all eternity. I'm gonna. I want to. I want to make an honorable mention of Pat Robertson. Oh yeah, yeah. Hasn't he been banned from? Hasn't he put been retired at his jersey in the Hall of Fame for skunk dicks? Pretty much. It's you got Glenn Beck, Pat Robertson. <laughs> they both keep saying sing though. I think Ben Glenn Beck's latest is like you need to scream at your children, but we don't need to cover him. <laughs> Pat and Robinson sh- and shove them against the wall, right. so they believe in Jesus. That's how you. That's how you discipline them. You know what talking about. Of course. Yeah, a woman called into his uh, seven hundred club and said, "What am I going to do? I can't tithe. I can't give to my church and pay for my husband's health care." He says, oh, "You can't stop tithing. Her husband is sick because she isn't tithing enough." My God, woman! You can't <laughs> pay for his medical bills. What kind of idiot are you? Give more to your church. Take the money you would have used to pay his medical bills for someone who's actually providing medical care for him and give that to some fucking asshole whose entire job is to just read from the scriptures in a pulpit <laughs> once a week. <laughs> you Fuck have you, a doctor. Robertson. <laughs> Fuck you. He continued. Oh and his my name God. is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> your family doctor is Jesus. All right, I'm changing my mind. Pat Robertson is now scuck. <laughs> All right. Shall That's we it. shall we See move later. on to Luke? Oh, Luke, God, we're doing more. Okay, Luke, Matt will. Luke. Matt is going to take over this episode because he's done all the research on Luke. Luke, I am your father, Ezekiel. <laughs> um, that's one. That's one. <laughs> I don't even know who his father is. I just said Ezekiel because it sounds bibly. No one knows. Bi- 
<laughs> no one, no one cares. <laughs> All right. So the Gospel according to Luke, uh, first of a two-part work. The second uh, being Acts, and we know that because of the dedication to Theophilus. The I think first chapter of both of them. The Theophilus. Yeah. Theophilus. We'll get to that. The okay. consensus date for Luke is 85 of the Common Era. Um, it places it around the same time as Matthew. Uh, but there is a minority of scholars who place the date significantly later, and Matt, I agree with these minority of scholars. You would. Based on the fact that the author of Luke seems to be familiar with both uh, Josephus's Jewish War and Antiquities of the Jews. And he actually uh, may have even used these as, as source material uh, for both Luke and Acts. Um it, it, it couldn't have been written any earlier than the mid-90s, because Antiquities of the Jews was finished in 93. Um, Richard Purvo, a scholar of Acts, he studied for Acts uh, 30 years, placed it even later. He thinks uh, Luke was um, about 105, and Acts was written um, about 115. 30 years, you say? 30. It's only 30 years. Plus or minus 30 years. Call me when he hits 35. <laughs> Most... that, is, that is the line I draw for Authority. Most scholars believe that Luke was written in Antioch, so that's uh, modern-day Turkey, but uh, in the province of, of Syria at the time. That was an important center of early Christianity. I believe it's the, the center where they the first took on the name Christian, so the first, they first called themselves Christians in Antioch. Um, Ephesus actually might be more likely, because the author seems to be more familiar with the cities along the Aegean, so if you look at uh, Ephesus, it's along the coast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, in the Aegean. Uh, and, and whenever Luke goes inland, uh, the, the details get fuzzy and, and he can make some mistakes. Um, but he's very comfortable with uh, cities along the coast of the Aegean. Well, those are the important cities. Uh, of course. Ephesus the- is also the site about uh, about a quarter of Paul's missionary efforts in Acts, uh, the climax of, of Acts in Acts 19, where Paul makes his big speech. Um, and it was a center of a controversy over Paul's theology, probably the city where um, they first gathered all of Paul's letters uh, and, and published them as, as one work, probably happened in, in Ephesus. Uh, so in the first decades of the second century, um, right where Pervo puts uh, Acts being written, they had a controversy over Paul's theology. So that's probably um, the time that it was written and, and possibly po- points to a motivation for Luke Acts being written. Um, to kind of be a, a work to put forth these guys' ideas about solving the controversy of Paul's theology. All right, we we may get to Acts at a, a later date, but let's start with uh, Luke chapter one. Luke, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count as one. I just, I just <laughs> announcing it. That's going to be the uh, substance of your commentary. <laughs> Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Luke chapter 1 starts. uh, Read the intro, Matt. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So that last sentence implies that Luke is not really happy with the stuff that came before him, namely uh, Mark, who uses a source, and possibly Matthew. He, Luke may be familiar with Matthew. Mark Goodacre uh, advances a theory that uh, Q did not exist 
and the similarities between Matthew and Luke were because Luke used Matthew as a source. So it's possible that uh, Luke was not happy with both Mark and Matthew. And so that's why he decided to write this, right? So he'd set the record right. straight. Well, I'm starting to think that all the Gospels are just people wanting to write their own version. <laughs> unhappy Christians. Right. Um, so the question then would be, who is the most excellent Theophilus? Some people say that perhaps he was a, a pagan Christian, right? A patron. And that this becomes, because when um, you meet Roman officials, pagan officials in Acts, they're always, uh, they always have the title most excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, more likely probably is that Theophilus, which means literally lover of God or beloved of God, uh, was kind of this generic name for Christians because they are beloved of God, right? Or they're lovers. Of ah, lover. The, the, the a work of this um, magnitude, you know, probably was not handed over to a pagan official. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, they were gay for Jesus. That's what you're saying. Gay for Jesus. What I didn't address is is uh, whether this was actually written by Luke, the physician companion of Paul. Unlikely, because whenever he talks about physician stuff, like the fever in uh, Peter's mother-in-law, or leprosy, or diseases, he doesn't use any physician-specific jargon. We're, we're pretty familiar with uh, physician jargon from the first century, because it's so well-documented. Um, and Luke uses none of that. Yeah, I'm totally familiar with that. <laughs> First century anyway, physician it wasn't, it wasn't attributed to Luke until the middle of the second century. Um, oh. The initial gospel was uh, anonymous, like the rest of them. Yes. All right, moving along from that um, shit, which I'll probably edit out. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> we have the... We have the story only in Luke of uh, John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, they're old and childless, just like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Ah. Now, the angel Gabriel, who, who gets a lot of fucking mileage in Luke, he's everywhere in Luke, uh, appears to Zechariah, tells him, Your wife will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And uh, Zechariah says, <laughs> a nice skeptic, Zechariah. How can yeah. I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years, because it's never happened before that in the Bible someone who's well along in years and childless ever has a baby. Right. It seems like a reasonable question, Matt. Uh, right, yeah, totally. Except for the fact that he's being told this by a fucking angel who's standing in front of him, fucking glowing. And... <laughs> so you say, magical angel man. <laughs> Where's my proof, fucker? <laughs> the angel tells him, now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So, oh, so fuck it, you, Zechariah. That's what the skeptics get. Yeah. what you get, people. Yeah. Every time there's a skeptic in, like, the Book of Mormon, this happens to him. Fucking struck dumb and mute. Oh, I look. What the hell is wrong with, with, with Jesus and God at this time? I mean, you see a tree, it doesn't have fruit for you, and you're like, fuck you, tree, no fruit forever. And this guy's like, is that, can that happen? You know what? No talking. <laughs> no more. You. No more talking. God, God, you're bothering me. Jesus. Shut the fuck up. Goddamn fig trees and Zacharias. Man, yeah, they're really pissed off. Really in a bad mood, this God and Jesus. So the angel Gabriel packs up his shit, moves over to Mary, 
and tells her God's going to sex her up and then she'll give birth to Jesus. Now, when Mary responds, how will this be, since I am a virgin? <laughs> Gabriel sits down and says, so basically, you know, there are birds and bees and, and there's a penis. And... He drew her a picture? So, <laughs> here, I have this book for you to read. Um, you know, Gabriel doesn't get mad at Mary, doesn't strike her mute. No. The question doesn't even fucking make sense. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Well? <laughs> yeah. Let me show you, Mary. Lifts up his angel skirts. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Checkmate, atheist. <laughs> How will this ever happen? How will I ever have children? Uh, then there's this crazy scene. Uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And her cousin Mary. So Jesus in, in, in Luke, Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. Um, like everyone who fucking is related to Jesus or meets Jesus is a fucking prophet in Luke. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the ba- <laughs> so somehow telepathically, John, the fetus John, knows about Jesus. Even when he comes within like 10 feet, he hops in the, in, inside the womb. So uh, Mary breaks out a song, like a fucking high school musical movie. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So that's pretty much... Well, did you quit just... Mormonism, or did they throw you out for your singing in church? <laughs> Uh, that's um, suspiciously like the song of Hannah in First Samuel chapter two. My heart exults in the Lord; my strength is exalted in my God, etc., etc., etc. So Luke wants us to hearken back to the song of Hannah, where ah. uh, Hannah is is told that she will have a baby; he will be a prophet, and uh, he's kind of the first major prophet of uh, Judaism. So Elizabeth gives birth. Zechariah is unmuted, and then he breaks out in a song. Fucking bad episode of Glee. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. This doesn't even rhyme. I guess be a song. <laughs> You're singing because it wrong. He has, maybe it rhymes in, in Hebrew. That's right. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how... That's <laughs> That's what the angel Gabriel told Mary. How will this be? Yeah, well, first of all, God's going to raise up a horn. A horn of salvation. Of salvation. Hmm. So chapter two, uh, this is the nativity, Luke's nativity. Um, very quickly, uh, starts in uh, chapter two, verse one. In those days, the decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. The census. The census. Ah. All right, so because of a worldwide census commissioned by Augustus, Joseph takes his uh, extremely pregnant wife, Mary, to Bethlehem because he's supposedly related to a guy who lived there a thousand years ago, right? Right. Makes sense so far? Yeah. Mary gives birth in a barn because there isn't any room because apparently everyone in fucking Judea is related to King David. Well, he had a lot of sex. (laughs) I thought that was Solomon. Him too. Uh, she wraps the kid up and lays him down in the animal's feeding trough. Angels appear to some random shepherds to announce the birth of the Messiah for some reason to some fucking random people out in the field. Hey, random shepherds! The Messiah is born! 
Oh, cool. Well, everybody knows shepherds are gossipy bastards. So the shepherds go into town. They're like the uh, National Enquirer of the ancient world. Right. The town criers. Uh, shepherds go into town and find the baby. Uh, this must be a really small town, Bethlehem, for them to just kind of wander into town. Oh, there, there she is. Found her. Uh, they tell Mary all about the angels. Uh, Jesus is circumcised eight days later, and he's presented in the temple. A man named Simeon, who was promised that he would see the consolation of Israel before he dies. So he recognizes the baby, and, and uh, what do you think he does there? Uh, he bakes a cake. Fucking breaks out in the song, of oh. course, like everyone. Okay, go ahead and sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Some old woman named Anna also it just happens to be wandering by, recognizes baby Jesus as, uh, as the Messiah and tells everyone about it. Um, it's a very interesting since in Mark, nobody fucking knew he was the Messiah. Nobody? Nobody. Nobody. In Luke, everyone fucking right. You just walk by, oh, hey, there's the Messiah. It's Jesus, just like we all heard about. Then Joseph and Mary return to Nazareth, their home, but they come back to Jerusalem every year, at least until he's 12, because, you know, they uh, <laughs> go to the temple and then they accidentally leave the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world behind. Oh, hey, uh, Looks like we got everyone here, but oh shit, we left Jesus. Well, you know when you have one child, when you have one child to look after, Chuck. Sometimes it's hard (laughs) to keep track. Well, he's twelve, so they probably got a shit ton of kids now. At least eleven more children. So they go back uh, and forth and kind of find him uh, teaching the wise priests of the temple in Luke two, verse forty-six. After three days, (laughs) I left him for three fucking days. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, uh, compare this to Josephus's story, which he wrote himself in his fucking autobiography, The Life of Flavius Josephus. Moreover, when I was a child and about 14 years of age, I was commended by all for the love I had to learning, on which account the high priests and principal men of the city came then frequently to me together in order to know my opinion about the accurate understanding of points of law. So when he's 14, all the fucking high priests are asking him his opinion on... on uh, Wait, Josephus is Jesus? Josephus is Jesus. That's what I'm taking from that. And then the priest said, we called social services. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this fucking 14-year-old walking around here with no parents? Uh, so compare this to... Uh, Matthew's nativity story. Okay. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which is the hometown of Joseph and Mary. We know this because there's no travel required, right? They just had birth to Jesus because they were already there. Uh, They're visited by Magi from the east who were sent to Bethlehem by Herod after they told Herod that uh, King of the Jews had been born, right? It's a very smart thing to do for these guys. Hey, King of the Jews, uh, we're looking for the new King of the Jews who was born. (laughs) Can you tell us? Uh, So the Magi did not return. Herod got angry, responded by killing everyone in Bethlehem who was under the age of two. An act, by the way, that apparently went completely unnoticed, not only by Judea, but the rest of the world. Josephus doesn't mention it at all. Uh, God works in unnoticed ways. Nobody but Matthew remembers this heinous act of uh, killing um, dozens of children. Uh, Joseph is commanded by the Lord in a dream to take his family and flee to Egypt after Bethlehem, and they live there until Herod dies. Uh, They're told by an angel to return to Israel, but they're too afraid of Herod's son Archelaus to go back to Judea, so they move to Nazareth in the Galilee and make that their home. So, This is complimentary, right? (laughs) I see the same names, or at least one or two. 
Apart from the names Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and the fact that Jesus was born, there's no detail of these two or, that are any remotely similar. So, I mean, if these are t- both true, then we have to know that Matthew got all of the details on one side, Luke got all these other details, and that each person forgot about every other fucking detail in the <laughs> other story. But not only that, but uh, they're they're actually contradictory because... <clears throat> if Matthew's nativity story is correct, and they were afraid and didn't go back to Judea uh, for the entire reign of Archelaus, he, he was there for 10 years until 6 AD, which, by the way, is when the census under Quirinius took over, because Rome uh, took Judea and attached to Syria, so the governor of Syria had to do a census of Judea in order to, to figure out who's going to get taxed, and that happened in 6 AD. Um so if they're hanging out in the Galilee for 10 years, too afraid to even go into Judea, how can they go return every fucking year to Jerusalem, the fucking capital? How is that possible? It's like a fucking family vacation. They just go once a year. <laughs> I mean, in Matthew, Joseph is the star of the story. Um, he's the guy who the angels talk to, God talks to, he sends him dreams. In, in Luke, Mary's the star of the story. She's the, uh, the recipient of all the celestial communication. Bethlehem's the home of the Holy Family in, in Matthew. It's Nazareth in Luke. Magi visit in Matthew. Shepherds visit in Luke. <laughs> I mean, the, the flight of Egypt is totally contradictory. Uh, in Matthew, Joseph and Mary are too afraid, right, <clears throat> to return. Right. In, in Luke, they return once a year. The events in Matthew could have taken place no later than 4 B.C., and uh, Luke could have taken no, no earlier than 6 A.D. during the where, of Quirinius. Where do you get those numbers? 4 B.C. is the death of Herod. We know this from Josephus. And we know the census of Quirinius uh, occurred in 6 A.D., also from Josephus, who said that it took place 37 years after Antony was defeated at the Battle of Actium. That happened in 31 B.C. So 37 years after that, 6 A.D. Kind of a two-year gap there of something. Like a 10-year gap. Or more. Yeah. Because I don't understand B.C. or A.D. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) I should probably stop using AD and and start using CE. The That's the problem. Yes, yeah. but there are also problems just taking Luke's account all by itself. Right, census was not all the world. It could not have been all the world. We would have heard about it. The census in six AD from Quirinius was just of Syria and Judea. Judea became a province of Rome instead of a client state under Herod and Archelaus. It was a client state. And uh, since Archelaus was so incompetent, uh, Rome decided to just annex Judea into Syria. And Quirinius went and became governor of Syria, and so he he did a census. That's what you did. Now, Um, wait. I'm doing some math here again, Chuck. Yes. How can Herod die in 4 BC? I thought he was around to murder all the children when he heard the new king of the Jews had been born. Yes. Wouldn't that Um, happen in zero? (laughs) <laughs> According to Matthew, Jesus could have been born no later than 4 B.C. Well, by my math, he gets born at 0 B.C. Or 0 <laughs> by, A.D. By you and whoever did the uh, Gregorian calendar, I guess. They put him at 0. Me and Gregoria. Um, why would someone have to travel from outside of Judea, like you know, from Nazareth, right, to Bethlehem to be counted as a resident of Bethlehem for tax purposes, and then afterwards travel back to their hometown? <laughs> He wasn't even in Judea. He was in the fucking Galilee. Uh, I, that doesn't and, sound inconvenient at all in a time where 
No. Wouldn't Bethlehem be fucking overtaxed? They're all pissed off because everyone who thinks that they're a descendant of the king, uh, David, swells into Bethlehem. And then they, for tax purposes, they all leave, and then Bethlehem is taxed to fucking death because no one lives there anymore. Oh, that's fucking genius. Yeah. You just, that's why you do it. You're just like, oh, I'm not from here. I'm from Bethlehem. <laughs> it's back home to Nazareth. <laughs> Woohoo! Not taxed, fucker. Uh, why would someone take along their extremely pregnant wife on what is sure to be a dangerous and long journey? Why would you do that? I don't know. The answer is because they got to get him to fucking Bethlehem because of uh, the, you know, Old Oh, Testament. that's right. They have to be where they said he was going to be. Exactly. So uh, in chapter three, Luke spends a few paragraphs uh, describing John the Baptist. Uh, but when, when Jesus arrives to be baptized, you know, unlike Matthew and Mark, uh, Luke pretty much removes John from the entire scene. He doesn't even mention that John baptizes Jesus. So it starts in 321. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. So he just kind of mentions as, a, as a, an aside that <laughs> Jesus was baptized, along with a bunch of other people. And then he walked over and was praying by himself, and that's when the dove came, not when he came up out of the water. And this, by the way, too, is private like in Mark, not public like in Matthew. He's, God's talking essentially just to Jesus. Yeah. The fuck? Um, chapter 3 also starts Luke's genealogy of Jesus, working backwards from Jesus to uh, his father Joseph, to his father Heli, which in Matthew's genealogy, Joseph's father was named Jacob. So they can't even fucking get uh, Jesus' grandfather's name correct. Well, Heli is Aramaic for Jacob, I think. <laughs> None of the names are... <laughs> None of the names are the same. It's awesome. So they keep going all the way back through Abraham, uh, where Matthew stops, all the way to fucking Adam. That Jesus. is an impressive amount of research. Jesus is related to Adam? Apparently we all are. So one way that apologists try to reconcile these two different genealogies is to say that uh, Matthew's genealogy was of Joseph, because in, in Matthew's nativity, Joseph's the star of the story. And in Luke, genealogy was Mary, because Mary's the star of the story in, in Luke. But unfortunately, the actual text says Joseph. Oh. So. Sorry. Reality gets in the way of that apologetic, unfortunately. All right, uh, chapter four. Here we get to the Jesus in the wilderness scene, where he's tempted three times, right? Uh, so the, the Holy Spirit is it, it fills Jesus up and leads him into the wilderness. Uh, Luke changes the order of the temptations uh, compared to Matthew. He puts the most tempting satanic temptation last. Well, that's how it should be. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus is like, Oh my God, I so want to jump off of this! Just might! I just might! That was the closest he came to yielding to Satan's temptations. Well, I like the order he puts him in. It really should end with that one, because, you, you know, eating, no problem, you know, no problem. Tempting God, whatever, fucking jumping off a temple, that's tempting as shit. That is tempting. Although, I think he, he would, they would have caught him. When, where was it later on that they, they bore him up or did something? Did well, we that's talk the about real, this before? 
that's the real temptation is that he the temptation isn't to jump off the temple per se it's to jump off the temple and declare yourself messiah because everyone in jerusalem would witness this because the temple is such you know a huge focal point it's on a hill in jerusalem that pretty much everyone can see it the angels come out they'd catch little jesus and then everyone would know that he's messiah so maybe Satan is tempted on a purpose because he knows he won't do it, and then nobody will believe he's Jesus, and then the devil is convinced us that Jesus and God don't exist, just like Scalia told me he would. It's all true. It all makes sense now. So Jesus goes back home to the Galilee. Now, instead of you know gathering all of his fucking disciples and apostles and, and having his like rejection, you know, all the prophets get rejected in their hometown occur in the middle of his ministry. Luke puts it right at the fucking beginning. But in Luke, we get more details about this. We kind of find out why they they reject Jesus. In spoiler alert, it's because he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> so I'll read this to you. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he's in the fucking synagogue or whatever. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, like, (laughs) the fuck, Jesus? What the fuck does that mean? Why don't you say something? Why don't you preach or something, you asshole? Then he began to say to them, he's like, oh, yeah. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, initially... They're like, oh, great. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. So initially they're okay with Jesus. It's, it's cool. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, <laughs> do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, There were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. So Sidon's a Gentile city. Uh So he's saying Elijah didn't do any miracles to the fucking Jews and Hebrews uh, when there was a drought, but he fucking did a miracle over at the Gentile land. So fuck you, assholes. I'm not doing it here. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian, <laughs> another Gentile. Oh, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they, they kind of like him initially, and then he says, he just taunts them. Fuck you, I'm not doing any miracles here, you assholes. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't do it. They did it to Gentiles. That's right. So they got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. He what now? It's kind of an anti-climax. <laughs> it is. That's, that's <laughs> some sort of deus ex machina ending. I love how they got up, drove him out of the town, got him all the way up top of the fucking hill, and are about to throw him off, and then he walks away. Uh, you know, because that's that's the, that's how you get people. That's the best. You're just like, ha ha. <laughs> no. Oh shit, where'd he go? Uh, I think whoever wrote this also wrote the Matrix sequels. <laughs> he probably did the same thing to his parents when they got him and they're about to leave Jerusalem. He's like, fuck that shit. I'm gonna disappear. 
Gone. Zoop. He did some of that walking into the wind shit. Ah, chapter six, Jesus goes on to heal some people. He casts out some demons, chooses his disciples. He starts teaching, uh, but unlike in Matthew, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Luke's Jesus just says, blessed are the poor, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst, period. So Luke's Jesus is more of a, a social Jesus. He's more concerned with social programs and welfare uh, than Matthew or Mark. In Matthew and Mark, the view of the future really isn't there because it's the end times, right? In Luke, and this argues again for a later date, right? So if you're really at the year 105 or 110 uh, and you believe Jesus was an actual person, he's long gone. He hasn't come back in the past fucking 80 years. So uh, you got to kind of rewrite these events so that it, Jesus... When, you remember when he prophesies in uh, Mark where he says, Truly I tell you, that there are those uh, standing among us that will see the kingdom of God coming in, in glory and power. Oh, yeah. In Luke, he says, truly I tell you, there are those among you who will see the kingdom of God, period. Because for Luke, <laughs> the kingdom of God is just like helping people out and kind of uh, subscribing to the program of Jesus. Right. Ah, now get it. Luke's a pussy. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so Luke's... Communist. Although I will, I will give him this. Luke's Jesus attaches a bunch of woes onto these blessings, unlike Matthew. So in addition to the blessed are these and blessed are those, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. So there's going to be this great uh, reversal of fortune in the end times. Aha! He goes on to tell his audience to love their enemies, turn the other cheek, not to judge others, and to take the log out of their own eye before complaining about the speck in their neighbor. So, what was that last part? Take the log out of your own eye before you're complaining about the speck in your neighbor's eye. Oh. The moat in the beam. Ah, okay. The log. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that seems a little bit too much hyperbole. Maybe a splinter? A splinter? Maybe a small pastry? I don't know. <laughs> a log? In chapter 7, we have this strange story about John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, who is a fetus, leaped in his mother's womb when he got near Jesus. He leapt in his mother's womb? Yes. Like out? Leaped. Leaped inside. He probably bounced off the top of the womb. Oh, okay. Is my guess. Uh, so we got this story. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? So I thought John fucking baptized him. Whenever he got near him, he knew the, who, who he was, Jesus. How, why is he unsure now? Yeah, didn't he baptize him? Or at least say, like, I'm not worthy, or you should baptize me, maybe. Possibly. No, in, in Luke, the only thing he says, you know, is that I baptize you with water, but there is someone uh, coming later who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so you don't get the uh, John the Baptist and Jesus interaction that you get in the other two synoptics. Yeah. John is, is very much removed from the baptism of Jesus. They just say Jesus was baptized. There's no, I am uh, stooping to unlatch your sandal in this one. So John doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't recognize I guess him. Maybe one of the, you know, the people, because remember the dove didn't come when he came out of baptizing either. It was when he was off in the corner praying by himself. Right. So maybe John just baptized Jesus uh, like, you know, out of 40 people that day. He was right. just another dude. Just went through the line. Totally forgot about um, that telepathic power he had inside his mother's womb. 
In chapter 8, Jesus tells a few parables that explains to his disciples why he uses parables. Again, it's the exact same story of the other two synoptics. So this is something all three synoptics agree upon, that Jesus is a complete asshole. <laughs> he says, uh, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. So, assholitude verified by Luke. Didn't he also speak in parables to them? Or did he only tell yeah, them? Right. <laughs> Uh, he does, but I think he explains it to the disciples. <laughs> because he had to. Because <laughs> they're That's such... right. They're always like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> right. There actually is a big gap, uh, <clears throat> like six or so chapters in Mark that, that aren't um, present in Luke. And, the, the, you know, the question is why? Did, did Luke have a, a gap in his manuscript where, you know, there's something like from Mark 3 to Mark 9 where he just totally glosses over that, that there, there's... A, there's no manuscript. Um, that's pretty unlikely because in the middle of manuscripts, they didn't typically get excised, right? It's in the beginning or end where they'd break off. Um, so it's unlikely that Luke had a different manuscript than we did of Mark. What probably during those chapters, um, there's a bunch of redundancies like, you know, um, the the second loaves and fishes, uh, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. There is uh, everywhere in that time, the disciples look like fucking morons. So it's possible that he just excised this redundant material and didn't want to uh, include these idiot disciples in his uh, gospel because he's going to go on to write Acts where he's going to have to use the disciples, right, to carry on the message of Jesus. Right. So that's a lot more likely. Um, That explains Luke's great omission uh, of those chapters in Mark. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> we do revisit the, the Gerasene demoniac, uh, who is, again, one person, like in Mark, not two, as in Matthew. In Luke, we learn that he's naked. <laughs> For ah. a long time, he had worn no clothes. <laughs> I don't know why. He's just sitting there naked amongst the tombs. Uh, after Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs and they run off the cliff, uh, suddenly uh, the guy's in his right mind, and he's clothed. So ah. apparently one of the disciples either gave him his clothes or brought along some extra clothes for the demoniac. Demons and pigs, you say? YouTube that. Doesn't happen so often anymore, Matt. Uh, I saw a cartoon about this once. In chapter 9, we get the feeding of the 5,000. Peter uh, tells Jesus that he's the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, of course, foretells his death and resurrection. The transfiguration occurs, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, meets Elijah and Moses. His face becomes dazzling white. Again, this is, you know, off up the mountain, all by themselves, where no one else sees. So that's pretty much verbatim from uh, Mark and Matthew. That's where it becomes a white guy. Yes, he becomes ah, white. Ah, now yeah. I get it. He stops being... Uh, Jewish Jesus and becomes Mormon Jesus in the Transfiguration. And he says, now I must leave you <laughs> to go to go someplace <laughs> else, but I can't tell you about it. So in chapter 10, Jesus appoints 70 followers to go ahead of him in pairs to prepare his way to uh, visiting towns that uh, Jesus plans to go on. Like a, like a tour, like a concert tour. Right, he's, he's sitting to advertise, I guess. Right. He's sitting ahead of him to advertise. This recalls Moses and his 70 from Numbers uh, eleven sixteen to 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and, and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not bear it all by yourself. The now, tent, this is um, the tent of meeting. Sorry, the, <laughs> the most boring tent ever. 
go go to the tent of meeting. After that, go to the small abode of shitting. No. <laughs> I'm losing my touch. Very, yeah. very, very descriptive terms God has for all these various tents. Right. This is also where Mormons get their quorum in the 70 from, you know, where you get the, the first presidency, the quorum of the 12, and then the quorum of the 70 makes up the general authorities. This is where they get that from. Oh. Do you have to get into the quorum of the 70 before you can get into the quorum of the 12? I believe that the apostles are all chosen from the quorum of the 70, yes. Nice. So Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it's found only in Luke. And actually, Luke has, uh, he's really known for his parables. You know, the prodigal son, the Good Samaritan, all this shit's only found in Luke. So all the most famous parables of Jesus may well have been made up by Luke himself, because we don't find him anywhere else. Um, the uh, Good Samaritan kind of a racist parable, Matt, because it assumes that yeah. Samaritans are all assholes, right? That's the whole point of the parable. The The guy gets mugged, a Jewish priest passed by, a Levite passes by, they don't help him, but the fucking Samaritan, he takes him and helps him out. Not a so Samaritan. Even, even Samaritans, who are usually assholes, can be nice people. That's the point of the parable. What are they, what, what about Levites? What's wrong with them? They're, they're, uh, thought of as good, but actually deep down inside, they're assholes. We get this great story in Luke 10.38. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, because everyone is fucking named Mary. It was like like one quarter to a third of Jewish females were named Mary at the time, Miriam, uh, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now get the fuck back into the kitchen and make me some goddamn food. Jesus was the first to come up with the sandwiches meme. Martha, make me a sandwich. So he's saying Mary's better because she's just sitting there listening to him? Yeah. Don't worry about, you know, cooking food. It's, 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 you know, it's nice of you to make some food for me and make my, you know, my stay comfortable here. Uh, but the better part is to Mary, who's just sitting here like a lazy ass at my feet listening to me. Well, somebody's got to cook, Chuck. Listen, Martha should have just fucking taken her pan, hit Jesus over the head. And and then sat there and listened to him. Right. I believe Martha was also wearing pants at the time. That might have had something to do with it. Oh, and yes. A hat. a hat as well? And a hat. Pants and a hat. Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Martha, Martha. <laughs> 70s reference. <laughs> All right. That is uh, that's probably enough for today. We'll go on to part two of Luke after we do a takedown of The Conjuring. Yes. The Conjuring. I need to watch it first. You do that. And then, perhaps we will do a Battlestar Galactica and Mormon Symbolism podcast. But I'm not sure. Excellent. It's all on me. And perhaps if we can get Carrie to mail me the second part of uh, Luke, or whatever, our interview, we can get him up to. Yeah.
Here. Yeah.